computer. Hello, this is the Surviving Healthcare Podcast, and I have the pleasure of having Dr. Dennis Krause here. He's an aluminum expert, and I'll just introduce him a little bit, and then he can introduce himself. Um, I went to an elite school. I thought it was elite, Oberlin, but of course, Dr. Krause went to Harvard um, and also got his PhD there in chemistry at Harvard University. And what he has done, in my opinion, is he translated complex chemistry into relatively practical advice for a very serious problem, which is aluminum toxicity. And he seen, this guy seems to be turning out about a book a year recently. I don't know how he does it. Um, so, Dr. Krauss, where did you work for most of your career? Uh, most of my career I was spent actually in business, uh, working with gov under government contracts for business. So, and and much of it, much of my early work was uh, setting up and testing for environmental contaminants that cause developmental delays in uh, in children and uh, and adults. And this work uh, I started while I was in graduate school and uh, set up a laboratory to test for polychlorinated biphenyls. And I went on to my career basically took the path of looking at things that we tend to eat and put in our food that are more dangerous than we think they are. And we have to watch out for them. Very cool. So now before we get launch a little bit, uh, we are not chemists. So can you, in practical terms for the lay listener like me, is there a difference between silica, silicone, con, silicone and OSA, or is it all kind of the same thing for our, for our purposes? No, it's quite a bit different. Uh, Silica can assume many different forms. Silica basically is the silicon atom bonded to oxygen, uh, but there, it, that can take many, many forms. Uh, and there's only one form that is readily water soluble and reacts with aluminum in solution, and that's orthosilicic acid or OSA. And that's the form that, that I primarily study and recommend people take on a daily basis. Other forms of silica include silica dust, uh, sometimes uh, dangerous for the lungs. There are seven forms of silica known to cause various lung problems, and uh, they're not, uh, not water-soluble, and they tend to be an irritant for the lungs. There's silicones, uh, it's called C-O-N-E on the end. Uh, silicones are liquids, uh, usually uh, sometimes uh, organosilicones containing a, a carbon molecule as well. And those are used for breast implants and other cosmetic things. Uh, and those, again, we're not interested in uh, at all in terms of getting rid of aluminum. Uh, it's the OSA that's the, the key. Got it. Yeah, I, I was a breast implant surgeon. So, so I, that was my next question. You took it out of my words out of my mouth. <laughs> so when I, when I read your book, I began to think of OSA, to say it properly, as the independent variable in longevity. And I think that's, I read two of your books. I didn't read the last one, which I think is probably more technical. But would you say this is an accurate characterization? Uh, yes, it is. And in fact, in a lot of the epidemiology work that was reported on aluminum, uh, things like silica, which... Uh, can prevent the aluminum damage in your body and fluoride, which can accelerate the damage in your body. Those aren't are 
variables that are not taken into account sometimes in the results that people obtained early on. But yes, it is a major variable, uh, the amount of OSA in the water as far as whether that, whether you will be grow to an old healthy age <laughs> or you'll have some kind of health problem along the way. So, so that's a stunning statement. And I just wanted to confirm that with you. Um, it's uh, when, when somebody with your background and stature makes a statement like that, after all your work with the subject um, it, and all the nonsense we hear about longevity, uh, that's, that's a remarkable thing. So let me just bookend our conversation with that idea that silica is the independent variable in longevity. So would you be kind enough to go over your uh, your original interest and your origin story with uh, it's kind of a charming thing with your mother? Well, sure. The, uh, the reason I became interested was uh, two things coincided in my life. One, I retired and I had a lot of free time. Two, I, uh, I have a mother who at the age of 85, when I retired, had basically lost her short term memory. It was very difficult to carry on a conversation with her and she couldn't remember remember what we just talked about. So I first took her, got her to go to a doctor to see if, if what her problem was, if they could correct it. They found she had what is called MCI, mild cognitive impairment, and that it was declining uh, and declining quicker than, her cognition was declining quicker than normal. And they suspected it was probably Alzheimer's. Uh, it was later confirmed that her uh, brain was atrophying. She had accelerated brain atrophy. So I took it upon myself then to see if I could find help for her. Uh, I couldn't find anybody in the medical profession who would help me, but I am a biochemist and uh, I felt, well, maybe I should just take a look and see there's been billions of dollars spent on research. And surely among all these research papers, there were some clues as to what causes Alzheimer's is, I believed I needed to find the cause before I could find the cure. That's because I'm a kind of a logical guy. So I began my work in 2012, summer of 2012, uh, 11 years ago, looking at what caused Alzheimer's and what was known about that. And it didn't take me very long, about a year worth of reading to conclude that uh, aluminum is, is a primary suspect in the list. And I looked at all the elements all the chemicals we commonly see accumulating in our body. And aluminum was the number one. And the data su that supported this was mostly in the beginning epidemiology data as I began to study it. A lot of people say that a lot of the epidemiology data is uh, mixed with some, some studies saying, yes, it does. Other studies saying it don't, doesn't. That's a statement usually originating from some aluminum official, official sponsored by the aluminum industry. If you look at the data, it's really not that confusing. The eight biggest studies performed with over 200 people with Alzheimer's and dementia all concluded that the, the data was statistically significant and shows that aluminum causes Alzheimer's, aluminum drinking water causes Alzheimer's. There were seven other studies that were done, only two of which came to that conclusion but they all occurred with less than 200 people in the study. And that is statistically a problem. The eight that concluded it all had many more than 200 in the study, or at least 200 or more, and most of them were several thousand. And those studies, I think, had a, a better statistical chance of showing it than the ones that only had a few. 
uh, in it. And so I separated them into two groups, those that were less than 200 and those that were more. But I found out that when you plotted the data from the, the 200, the, the people examining pe uh, the more 200 or more people, it was beyond a doubt that aluminum uh, causes Alzheimer's. And by linear regression, it's highly, makes for a highly probable trend plot that indeed it does. In fact, I found at 180 ppm of, by 180 part per billion, I should say, of aluminum in drinking water, it doubles the risk of Alzheimer's for people. And that is ironic because in the United States, we use alum and aluminum salt to treat our drinking water, particularly if it comes from surface waters. When you look at 600 communities, which were looked at, who use alum in the drinking water, the average level of aluminum in the drinking water was 180 part per billion. So an average in the United States, we drink in our drinking water, a chemical that increases by twofold the rate of Alzheimer's. And this may account for why the US has one of the highest rates of Alzheimer's in the world. When I took this up with the EPA, which says it's legal in this country to, set, to provide people with drinking water of 200 part per billion of aluminum or less. And I tried to convince them that that number should be more like 100 part per billion. Then it falls on deaf ears. No one's interested in talking. No one's interested in taking that data seriously. And the water companies doing this also aren't going to listen because they just tell you, oh, we're complying with the EPA standard of 200. So. That I, that I discovered early on, and I immediately, of course, took an aim at getting my mother's water filtered so it's free of aluminum because her water was treated with alum. And I took aim at, at also providing her, of course, with silica, which will ameliorate the uh, aluminum accumulation. So just to be clear, with the silica, we're talking about part per million, and the aluminum, it's part per billion. That is correct. And so did you get her a reverse osmosis system uh, to help her? Or you, you just had her filter with a Brita filter. I had her filter with a Brita filter. It's easy. It's uh, not too expensive. Uh, Got to replace the filter about every three months, but uh, about every 50 gallons. But uh, for her and her drinking water needs, it was quite convenient. My father implemented it and he's kept her while he was alive. He kept her on uh, silica water for five years. Between the time she was 87 to 92, she drank almost exclusively uh, uh, Fiji water. So I have a lot of other questions. We can dive into details, but if you want to develop your um, your quest to understand the silica and the the relationships to uh, uh, of aluminum to Alzheimer's and so on. Uh, you know, an outline, sketch that outline a little bit. Uh, we could do that first if you're, if you'd like. Sure. Well, it, it came in two parts because I, as you noted earlier, I have written four books. I write them out once every two years, but uh, uh, I've written four books. And the first book, my level of knowledge about proving something as a being a cause was primarily using what was called the Hills, uh, Hill criteria. And in the Hill criteria, there are nine major points that where you try to convince yourself and others that indeed uh, the aluminum is linked through experimental evidence uh, and linked and correlated high enough that it is a causal factor of Alzheimer's. And so I used 
Hill's criteria and showed that, they, at least with that criteria, there was uh, no question that aluminum caused Alzheimer's. Then, uh, since that time, I was reading on causal inference, and it's a newer science uh, than Hill's criteria, and it's a way of showing that uh, A causes B. In this case, aluminum causes Alzheimer's. And I applied it to that quest, and it it's basically like rungs of a ladder. So you climb these rungs. Each rung supports that contention that aluminum causes Alzheimer's. And the first rung is, of course, the epidemiology data I already described. And the second rung, rung is the fact that if you remove aluminum from the body, which is known to happen with drinking silica water, you can improve cognition. And that's a, that's a startling observation. It was first made by Chris Exley using 13 people with Alzheimer's and drinking, uh, in his case, Malaysian uh, water for uh, 12 weeks. And in just 12 weeks, three out of the 12 improved cognition. Now keep in mind that all the drug research, there have been 12,000 people involved in drug research is trying to remove beta amyloid from the brain. 12,000 people and over the last 20 years in about 30 to 40 different studies, clinical studies, none of those have improved cognition. They have stabilized cognition, preventing it from going down briefly while taking the drug, and then it continues on its way down, but never have they seen an increase. So when you say you can use silica water to increase your cognition, that is a major uh, discovery. And Chris wasn't given enough evidence and backing to continue that and do, even do a, a better clinical trial of it with more people, which is really discouraging. I would defend forward and at least gave my mother that and her cognition did indeed improve with the uh, uh, mini mental state exam that she was given by the doctor. It did improve during that time she was given silica. So that's a major advance. Yeah, we're left with anecdotes these days, but the anecdotes are very powerful. The the ones that you relate are incredible, and uh, the examples you gave. So, go ahead. Yes, they are. But I like I said, I sorely wish that somebody would fund uh, further work, clinical work, to establish this. So you know, Doctor Exley. Uh, yes, he in fact reviewed my first book. It's kind enough to do that for me, and gave me some comments. Uh, so I've, and I appreciate his efforts in that regard. Yeah. I'm just amazed that this isn't more mainstream. I mean, this is really crazy. Um, so let me, I can, I can go into my questions if you'd like, or if there's other details about your, your story, did you actually travel on site? And since you're kind of a bench chemist, did you actually test some of these, uh, suppositions about these, uh, silica in the water on these, in the blue zones or any of that other? Uh, no, I did not. No, I did. I did get some water sent to me and I checked, but I didn't do any traveling. So, so you basically stood on the shoulders of what I think you characterize it as hundreds, if not thousands of researchers who've been looking into this for 20 years. And yet this isn't mainstream yet. Do you want to describe the pushback that you think is happening? Well, I think it's, Obviously, we're putting the finger on aluminum as being a cause, and we have an aluminum industry uh, that is very uh, tightly controlled and, and wishing to maintain their good uh, stature in the country. Uh, 
with as aluminum being a safe and recyclable product. Uh, the, the problem is that they, they basically publish papers and put out uh, literature saying aluminum does not cause Alzheimer's. And they've been very successful at that, trying to convince people not to look any deeper. Uh, lately, of course, a lot of scientists have looked deeper. And of course, that's been the basis of my books. We have found that aluminum is not safe and it is a neurotoxin and it is getting to us from a number of aluminum products. So that has to be made, made more public, but we're bucking the tide here because the aluminum industry, is, and I think they have recruited the Alzheimer's Association to work with them because the Alzheimer's Association claims that aluminum causing Alzheimer's is a myth. So we've gotten some large corporations with their finger in the pie and they've, whatever they've done, they've ginned it up so that even the Alzheimer's Association is, is not in favor of pursuing research along the, the lines of aluminum. Yeah, these, uh, these patient advocacy groups are largely astroturf. And I'm sure that's what uh, the Alzheimer's Association is. In other words, it's industry funded. So they push the narrative in any direction they want. Um, but I'm going to put my finger in the uh, the elephant in the room here and uh, remind the audience uh, if they're sophisticated, they understand that aluminum is used as an adjuvant in vaccines, most vaccines since 2001. Prior to that, it was mercury, but they did leave, they were kind enough to leave mercury in uh, the flu vaccine, which I re received after that point. And so I got another dose of mercury. But um, what do you think the status of vaccine uh, tox vaccine recipient uh, toxicity versus environmental toxicity is? Do you think environmental is bigger or the vaccine is bigger? Well, it depends on the population group you're looking at. Right. Uh, in the older portion of the groups that we're looking at, like say for Alzheimer's, people who are getting Alzheimer's are in their 50s or beyond, uh, that group, uh, has had if they've had vaccines they, they've had them as kids but they most of that aluminum is now well out of their system and what they're getting aluminum from is environmental sources and we've got plenty of them so they're not having any trouble getting aluminum in their bodies and accumulating it uh, as we all are because it's so plentiful but the other uh, people the younger group of course they have been bombarded with vaccines and now not all vaccines contain aluminum but some of the ones that uh, are routinely given to children do contain a lot of aluminum as an adjuvant, as you mentioned. And aluminum, uh, I think vaccines is a major source, in fact, of aluminum for children. Now, what effect, the children don't get Alzheimer's, of course, but children's brains are developing and aluminum affects the development of the brain. So what you're seeing is the, the, the Alzheimer's uh, or excuse me, the autism developing and increasing in young children because of their exposure to aluminum. And so autism is, and, and also um, uh, all these uh, seizures uh, are another factor. You know, many autistic kids have uh, seizures associated with it. I think the number is like 30% at least. Uh, autistic children do also have seizures. Aluminum is used to cause seizures in primates. You inject aluminum in the brain of primates, they have seizures. In fact, they continue to have seizures seven years after injecting the aluminum in their brains. So 
Seizures and aluminum are tied together. Uh, aluminum definitely is a causal factor. So the question that was proposed then was if you take the aluminum out using silica water out of children, do their seizures go down in general? And we did that study on Facebook uh, with a Facebook group on autism. And we, uh, we had very successful data, I think 50 to 60 people took part in the survey. They put their kids on silica water. And in general, uh, the bulk of the people noticed a, a lower number of seizures, if not a total cessation of seizure activity. So it does, it does wake up for the children. Aluminum does affect them. And the injections of vaccines is a negative thing, particularly in the very developed, very young, young children. We should, what we should be doing is postponing the delivery of some of these vaccines as much as we can until the child gets at least six months to a year old and not give them at four months and two months and four months. Yeah, that's an outrage. I, I think I'm a little less ecumenical. I think that uh, the data I've studied vaccines as a whole, and I would point our listeners towards two books. One is called Turtles All the Way Down, and the other is called Dissolving Illusions that prove to me that vaccines are an unadulterated harm, and there is no vaccine that's any good. There may be in a endemic rabies area, you want to take a rabies vaccine, but but that's it. And the rest well, of them- I guess I disagree with you uh, there because I think a vaccine without aluminum in it uh, is a good thing. So I'm not against vaccines, but I'm sure against putting aluminum into children's brains and bodies. Uh, that's definitely not something I would could possibly be in favor of. So in, in theory, you're, we're, now we're, we're quibbling about theory because nobody knows about what the vaccines would be without aluminum because I don't think it's ever been done. The problem, the problem is, is that everything that, that they've never been compared to placebos, period. So you have to assume they're no good. You know, it's just like a religion uh, with those uh, companies. There are, there are vaccines that have been tested that have no aluminum in them that, that we use routinely. Uh, and those vaccines are have been shown to be harmless. And I do think they are harmless. So I think that that there is data out there that vaccines by itself is a-okay. Vaccines with aluminum is a problem. So, um, you know, I, I have thought until I stumbled over you and Dr. Exley that um, mercury was the primary problem in autism. And it seemed as if the mercury that was delivered prior to 2001 uh, was the thing that caused the autism rate to go from one in 10,000 when we were kids to one in 30 now. So um, do you want to comment about mercury versus uh, aluminum? Well, yes. In fact, I when I wrote my first book, I had to figure out, of course, whether there's aluminum, there's arsenic, there is uh, mercury, and uh, there's lead. All of these are metals, um, light, light metals, heavy metals that uh, can cause damage in the brain. They cause developmental delays. They've been called brain drainers. And I had to look at all the brain drainers to figure out which ones were the ones <laughs> causing the problems, in this case, uh, autism or Alzheimer's and sort through all the data that is out there. And there's a lot of data on all of these. And as they do affect cognition, all of them affect cognition. But what really causes it, uh, 
autism and Alzheimer's is aluminum. And that's really based upon all the data that's out there. And there's a tremendous amount of data, as I said, uh, to go through. And I report it in my first book. And I, after my first book, I, I put, in fact, autism as my last chapter in the book. And I gave all the reasons why uh, that it would appear to be aluminum and nothing more than aluminum causing autism. But no one had done, other than a hair analysis that one person had, one group had done, uh, where they found high aluminum in the hair of autistic children higher than normal. No one had really looked at the brain tissue. Within two years of publishing the book, of course, I'd sent a copy to Chris. There's actually, but within two, just two years of me publishing, he came out with the data showing that indeed, when you look at the brains of autistic children, they have high levels of aluminum in them. And it's not mercury, it's aluminum for that reason. You didn't find high correlations of mercury, no one has. It is aluminum. So aluminum is accumulating in the brains of uh, young people. Uh, some young people, you know, not everybody absorbs aluminum as much. Uh, you know, some people absorb much more than others. So, you know, some people have more of a problem than others with aluminum because they've got more of it in their bodies from other all kinds of sources, not just vaccines, but there's a host of sources. As soon as a child is born, they love red candy. That's marketers <laughs> have deduced that. They love red cereal, red candy, any, or any color, any brightly colored product. And uh, we have a lot of colored products for children. Well, those colors are fixed, and they're fixed with aluminum in the colorant. So kids are eating a tremendous amount of aluminum just in the colored products they consume. So it's, it's, a, it's a junk food problem and a vaccine problem for kids. Well... You, you know, I think I shared with you that I was recently diagnosed as uh, early Parkinson's disease, and I've got 17 mercury amalgams. And the dental anecdotes that come out of the honest dentist camps, which is there's not very many of them, but some, some of them tell the truth. Uh, they're quite impressed with the improvements that they get and, and cures for breast cancer and all kinds of other things when they remove the mercury amalgam. So I'm hoping for the best about that. Um, do you want to comment about that or should we move on? No, that's a subject of my third book. In fact, uh, I've, I've decided I gathered all this information writing my first two books and the third book, I decided, well, I might, might as well just tell everybody what I know about getting other toxins out of your body, mercury being one of them. But I talk about how you can use essential nutrients to get mercury, uh, lead and uh, arsenic, and aluminum for that matter, out of your body uh, by just routinely taking these essential nutrients and what they are. And I, we talk about in the book exactly what to take, what to, uh, what I'd prescribe and uh, selenium is what I recommend for mercury. It uh, forms a very tight bond with mercury, much better than sulfides. A lot of people use chelators like style containing compounds to get mercury out of your body. They merely redistribute it. And in a large part from what we know now, they distribute it to the brain. So you don't want to use a thiochelator. You want to use a selenium. Uh, selenomethionine actually is what I recommend. It will get rid of the uh, mercury. You'll urinate it. It enhances the urination uh, of the mercury. So you'll eliminate it by urination. And it's uh, not harmful at all to you to take uh, 100 or even 200 micrograms of selenium uh, selenomethionine a day. That's not a bit not a big requirement. I'm right. I'm marking that down. <laughs> Methionine. 
Now, selenomethionine is, is a great way to get selenium, selenium into your system because it's very bioavailable. It goes into your body and a lot of the selenium in it makes its way into the body. There are a number of enzymes that require selenium in the body, so it is an essential nutrient. So there's nothing uh, wrong with taking the excess selenium. And it even does really beneficial things for your immune system. And uh, during the COVID pandemic, I recommended it to, to friends and family uh, to prevent uh, any uh, any problem with COVID. Well, I've got that in the mail, but you just convinced me to spend another eight hours and read your, read your third book. <laughs> I, now, I, what I want you to tell me is that the fourth book is too technical for me because I haven't gotten to that. It seems like that one's a little geeky. Well, it's, it is, depends what, you, how deep you want to go, I guess. Uh, it's a ladder, like I said, a ladder of uh, causation that I talk about as, which is my climb up the ladder. So you can read it superficially to see the climb. I also made a, a series of diagrams in it, causal, what's called causal diagrams, which is basically A with an arrow causing B. That's as complicated as they get. Uh, but it shows what, what all the causal factors are that work together with aluminum to uh, affect Alzheimer's. So you get a good feel for, for really how it works. And once you've read it, just even if you look at just the diagrams and the brief overview of each chapter, you have a pretty good idea that this is pretty solid, that there's a lot of research that has been put into this that shows that aluminum is the causal, primary causal factor of Alzheimer's. So, so if you search for Dennis, D-E-N-N-I-S, Cruz, C-R-O-U-S-E, Amazon, um, you can you can find his books and they i think he probably has them all on his authors page so if you search for dr dennis cruz authors yeah, dennis, page, dennis dennis n kraus no in right there's yeah, another my middle initials n so search under dennis n kraus you'll find me there easily got it so now here's... i should point out i should point out you keep calling me a doctor and uh when you get a phd in this country you can be called a doctor However, some people are confused on the score. Does the doctor mean I have an MD? I do not have an MD. So just for the record, yeah, I'm a, I'm a PhD. And that's what it's on the cover of all my books. Is I get it. I PhD. I, I'm not a self-important MD. In fact, I'm disgusted with the whole crew. <laughs> I, I'm a medical <laughs> whistleblower. So you're, you're looking at somebody who just hates what's going on. So I'm just going to try to drill into some of these things. Um, here's a quote from your book. The reversal aluminum accumulation is dose dependent, averaging 58% with 200 parts per million of OSA and 79% with 400. Now I learned after just five weeks, and I learned that um, the saturated solution is 200. So 400 must be a suspension where you shake it up. Is that correct? Well, this work that I cite, you cited is, was done in Spain, uh, and th they don't really outline in their work how quickly after preparing it, they actually uh, inject it into the rats. They inject it into the, into the rats' uh, stomachs, effectively. Uh, they, uh, they may prepare it right away. If, it takes a while for the um, OSA to precipitate, of course, so you can mix up a 400 solution and a lot of it will create what's called dimers and trimers of OSA. And they're in equilibrium with a monomeric form, which is the useful form. And so it's, it's a question of if you dump 400 in your stomach, how long does it take to then dilute that down and become useful? And it's probably a matter of a day or so. 
maybe a few hours. I don't know. But I don't recommend, at least I don't recommend anything over 200 is it will be coming out a solution. And the the worst place for it to come out a solution would be in your kidneys and you'd get silica stones. Not that silica stones has ever been reported really among humans. Uh, Magnesium silica stones have been reported, but pure silica stones, I don't think have ever been reported in humans. In dogs, they are a problem though, interestingly enough. Dogs get silica stones quite readily. But in humans, no. But oh, go I ahead. still wouldn't recommend it. So I, as I understood it, and I, you know, read all this stuff as fast as I could because there's so much of it, and I'm not a chemist. And so as I understood it, Fiji or Volvic, Fiji is 86 milligrams per liter, which is the same as parts per million, right? Uh, parts per milligrams per liter is parts per million. And it's Fiji is uh, more like 93, I believe, uh, PPM, but that's SiO2. And that's how they generally report it on the side of the bottle. They do not report it as OSA. And OSA is has a molecular weight that's much heavier than SiO2. So of course, if you have 93 PPM of SiO2, you've got about 150 PPM of OSA in there. And all it is is adding molecules of water to SiO2 to make effectively OSA. So you add two molecules of water, you've got yourself OSA. Okay, that's a little complicated for me, but um, I I understand the 200 and 200 is past that, you probably don't want to tread even though human models, or there are no human models. Um, But, and Volvic is uh, 70 or something, right? Or 100, it's not quite as much. Volvic is closer to, yes, it's, it's, 50 or 60 in their territory. So so do you exclusively drink, drink silicate yourself, which is your name for your prepared silica water? That's right, I do. Yes, and you yes. don't drink, you, you don't try to drink quarter a day. You just drink exclusively. All, all your needs are silicate. Yeah, silicate. What I, what I do is actually I drink a cup of silicate in the morning with tea and a cup of silicate, uh, pure silicate in the evening with tea. During the day, I drink about 50-50 tap water silicate uh and uh, so I, I take it a little more dilute and is the response as dramatic as this animal study seemed to indicate i mean this is what do they say two months five weeks well, we that, that's a good question and my wife and i decided we would answer the question we've both been taking uh, silicate since 2014 uh so that's that's a lot of years it's all almost we're almost coming up on now 10 years uh, in 2024. So uh, we took we took about two years ago, uh, we took our uh, what's called a total urine test, which is a 24 hour urine test where you collect your urine for 24 hours, take it to a test lab, and they'll test and tell you how many uh, micrograms of aluminum you have uh, per liter in that solution. And it can convert that to micromoles easily mathematically and get how many micromoles of aluminum you've excreted that 24 hour period. And it turns out that's really a useful measure of how much your body burden of aluminum is. So it's a 24 hour urine test. It's done by uh, several labs here in the States and that I talk about in my fourth book. And it um, allowed us then to compare our aluminum level with uh, a table that I got from the literature of people's total 24 hour aluminum 
levels uh, in their urine in different age groups and with, with and without Alzheimer's. So, uh, and that table's in my fourth book. We found out that uh, both of us have levels equal to those of a 20 year old. And we're both right around 70, I'm 77, my wife is 68. So we're, we're in that territory. Uh, but to have levels of a 20 year old, we were quite impressed. So yes, the answer to your question, yes, it works. It lowers your body burden of aluminum. Uh, so it, a lot of the studies I mentioned in the uh, my second book uh, were rat studies. Uh, some of those were rat studies done in Spain. And they showed, of course, the rats lost almost all their aluminum in certain lobes of their brain. And their, even in, in their bones, they lost aluminum, which really is that amazed me just by drinking silica water for, I think in that case, six weeks of silica water, these rats lost almost all the aluminum from their bodies. And that was even, they even did that with them, take ingesting aluminum every day. So that was, that was <laughs> you, lose, you lose it, whether you ingest it or not. Uh, but we're all ingesting it after all. Well, I feel like I'm, I'm in an oral exam with my professor and I, I just, I just established myself at about 75%, which is passing, but I've got to read the other book. Um, so, um, is silica fertilizer a thing? In other words, is that commercially available? Are there people that use it? Uh, no, it's not nothing. I don't think in that regard is valuable, although it's been studied, as I mentioned, I think my second book, it's been studied in South America, uh, to add silica to the crops and, uh, it benefits both the crop and uh, and the person who eats the crop. So right. it should be done on a wider scale because first we, we're robbing the soil of silica every time we grow a crop. We're and using, not putting it back. We're using those uh, fertilizers, the uh, nitrogen and potassium and what's the other element that, but no silica. Uh, phos uh, phosphorus. phosphorus. So, yeah. You know, the three things that we put back are not, silica is not one of them. So, if you've got a reverse osmosis water filter, do you need to bother with the Brita filter step when you're manufacturing your version of silica water? Well, the, the one variable that, that you're putting into the water is uh, the biosodium bisulfate, which is 99.5% pure. So the, that 0.5% impurity uh, concerns me. I don't want basically to be taking, putting into my body something that may have aluminum in it uh, or mercury or anything like that. So I always put everything through my Brita filter before I ingest it. So, Okay. Well, that makes sense. Thank you. All right. So here's another anecdote. For four years, as I wrote my books, I drank water from one of the, or I drank coffee from one of those darn things with aluminum heating element with an aluminum heating element. So I was sticking 300 parts per million or what parts per billion of aluminum into my body acutely. Is that correct? Yes. It depends on the age of your device. It turns out as these, uh, these, uh, these uh, drip style coffee makers work, they heat aluminum tube underneath the heating platform there to drive the water up over into the coffee grounds and to extract the coffee. And that, heating process is very, very hot because they people don't want to wait around forever for their coffee. They want it quick. And so the a number of watts are put into that piece of aluminum, almost heating it to its melting point. 
But as it gets older, the aluminum even gets more and more surface area, so it tends to bleed more and more aluminum, oxidized aluminum into solution, even though it's just, I know a single pass sounds like, well, that's probably quick exposure, but it's very, very hot. So you are putting aluminum from that tube into coffee more so as the unit ages, but even brand new units I've checked and they still put a reasonable amount of aluminum in even when they're brand new. So the bottom line is get, get rid of those and get a unit that doesn't have an aluminum heated tube. They, are, they do exist. I've got one here in the house made by Jura, J-U-R-A. I talk about a few others there in my first book. Uh, one of them is no longer, I think, on the market, but there's still Jura is still out there. But they say right on the box, your coffee never touches aluminum. <laughs> well, my tremor dramatically worsened after I drank my coffee over the last several years. Each day <laughs> when I, so do you think that was the aluminum or the caffeine? Who knows, right? <laughs> Who knows? I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So the silica water does not force excre excretion of any other toxins besides silica, uh, aluminum. It doesn't do anything for lead or anything else, does it? No, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. That's why I wrote in my third book, I talk about what you should do for, for lead, arsenic. And, and I've got two more, two more books I have to read. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, well, they, they aren't that painful. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it, you know, the painful thing is realizing what you, you've been hoodwinked for years. Does yeah, any oatmeal sold in the United States have high silica, like Quaker real oats, oatmeal or whatever? You know, I read about the, my wife eats that stuff, but occasionally she'll drink, she'll eat the uh, instant. Yeah, it's, it's a good question because uh, obviously oats have are high in silica, but the question is, can you get the silica out of the oats in time to use it by your body before the oats get excreted? So that's really the, the question. Uh, I talk about in the book of how swollens is made and it's made by fermentation. And a lot of uh, third world countries, they use fermentation to treat vegetables and drink. They drink the fermented liquid that comes off. The word fermentation doesn't mean, mean creating alcohol from, <laughs> from things. Fermentation is actually just the soaking of a grain or vegetable in water and then if you want to drink it, drink the fermented liquid that, that results. And it, that liquid, if, the, uh, if there is silica present, uh, it is a good chance that may be in the form of OSA and you'll get then for water soluble OSA in the ferment. So, but, and do oats have it enough of it? Well, I can only say that people who took those oats, the swollens, which were made mostly from oat husks, which you can't get out of a Quaker box anymore, they, took, they take the husks off and throw those away, but it, could you get the husks? And I think I just found them on Amazon a few years ago. If you could get the husks and soak the husks overnight, you might well have a pretty good drink. Uh, that there's probably a, a good amount of, of OSA in the, in the husks. All right, I've, I've tested your patience, but I just have a couple other questions. Do you have, sure. um, have you had any experiences with people having a side effect from starting too much silica water too fast. And I, I noted that you said that it was possible, but ha have you ever seen or heard of anyone having problems? Oh yeah, yeah, we have, we have, and more anecdotal information on that subject, yes, indeed. Uh, when we recommended that uh, children start taking it to uh, maybe get rid of the seizures, a lower seizure frequency, 
Uh, a lot of kids took the silica water and immediately had other problems with it. Uh, and we recommend always, if you start taking it, you do develop a problem, take less and work your way up slowly. But obviously we're all different. We all have different amounts of aluminum in our body. The only thing silica is doing is taking out aluminum. So you have to believe that whatever they see going on is the effect of a, a large amount of aluminum influx in their body. So the last question is, I read somewhere in your body of work that silica has a half-life of 11 hours. If, if that's the case, you could almost drink it all at once in the morning, couldn't you? Yeah, if you're into drinking lots, it, uh, Exley did that, and he published that information. It's a, in a graph in my second book there. Uh, he did it twice in a row, about a week apart, and noticed that if he took it all at once, uh, a whole liter at once, he indeed got a large uh, bolus of aluminum out of his body. Uh, within a few hours of that. So that's one way to do it. You don't have to do it that way. My wife and I spread it out during the day. And obviously we have very low aluminum loads because of that, but uh, it's up to you, however you want to take it. Is there anything we missed or that you, you would like to emphasize? Because I, I feel like I uh, dominated the conversation here because I had all my personal questions. Well, I just like to say that uh, I've spent a lot of time on this project, obviously I, some people wonder why I did that. I don't own any uh, company or have interest in uh, companies that sell any of the products I talk about or recommend. So I have no financial interest at all in this. I make a little money selling books through my royalty, but I assure you it's only covering the cost of testing that I've done so far. So I'm not uh, rolling in dough because of that either. So it's purely, I just wanted to make certain that what I found out I spread around a bit so other people can read about and become aware of and think about if they want to change their lifestyles to accommodate what I recommend, great. Um, if not, I've at least put, given them some food for thought. So, uh, Dr. Exley uh, said that the only conflict he had was uh, Fiji gave him a bunch of water to use for testing. And so that's that's a good thing on his part too. He sells that stuff like he's an investor though. I mean, he really, he's very uh, persuasive. Yeah, well, I'm not selling Fiji water or anything else. And I'm happy to have introduced the idea you can make this water equal to Fiji at home for next to nothing, and uh, which I call silicate. And uh, that's a much more sustainable approach. And uh, I've even taken a little flack on doing that from Exxon himself. I don't know whether that's because he is invested in, <laughs> in some of these water companies or whether he's seriously worried about people making a mistake. But in any case, I made it such that the recipe is such that anybody can follow it and do it with, uh, without any problem. Well, I'm tremendously grateful for the work you've done and also for your time today. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about or is there anything I can do for you? I'm happy to, I, I published uh, uh, three books recently and one book a while back and I can send you hard copies of those. If you text me your, uh, your address or any of them you're interested in They're uh, they're about one of them is about medical corruption. It's called butchered by healthcare. So I can mm -hmm. certainly send you a copy of that if you're interested. Okay. Okay, Robert, well, I might be interested in that. I'll send you a note. Uh, but uh, I just appreciate you spreading the word, the, the, my words around in the internet and uh, making uh, making other people aware of what uh, what I've said and what I've done. So 
And my mother, and my mother thanks you too for spreading information around. She, by the way, is is ninety seven. Incredible. And uh, she's, uh, you know, remember she was eighty five when I started. Now she's ninety seven, and uh, she's uh, still able to uh, communicate, carry on a conversation, knows who she is, knows where she's at, and uh, so. She, Does she live by uh, herself? She lives by herself. Two, two years. She did up until two years ago. She didn't until she was ninety five. And then we decided it was getting to be unsafe. She would forget certain things that, uh, you know, that maybe you'd say anybody maybe could do this. She left a spoon in a microwave and turned the microwave on (laughs) and destroyed the microwave. And we just began thinking that, you know, maybe she shouldn't be living alone because she could make some mistake like that that would burn down the house. (laughs) (laughs) So... She got moved. She got moved to a assisted living, uh, and we have concerns. She's rather stubborn. We have concerns that she could walk off from there and go back home. But uh, we put her in a memory clinic, actually. So she has a memory clinic that's locked, and so she can't take off and walk out in the middle of the night and leave. Oh my gosh! Well, that's so, a charming story. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm thankful that my mother has made it and does not have the end stage Alzheimer's as of yet. And at 97, like well, you got to be. Happy to make it to that that age. All right. Well, I'm again, thank you so much. And we'll be in contact. Okay, Robert. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye.